This is Secrets to Win Big, your roadmap to sustained growth. Brought to you by Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, brand whisperer, top brand growth driver, and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. Find him at zenmango.com. And now, here's your host, Arjun Sen. Hi. Welcome to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen. This is Arjun, and it's truly a pleasure to welcome you to this episode. I've always found winning is fun, but winning big really puts us all on the path to sustaining win, and that makes it incredible journey for all of us. In this podcast, we bring you conversations with leaders from all walks of life and all over the world. And the reason it is important is none of us are the same. We are all different, which means our individual vision of leadership and our individual paths has to be different. And that's the reason the different walks of life all over the world becomes very important. And in that spirit, today, we are very fortunate to have here George Sparks. George has incredibly strong passion for public policy, particularly around science and education. And I have known George for the last six years, and I have found that he lives every day to make science and education a big part of our life, everyday life. And with the COVID challenge and you know this new uncertainty that's going on, I can't think of a more critical time where science and education, what we do now, will define in the future. So we really appreciate what George is doing. And of course, I want to know more about what George does in these areas. In his current role, George is the president CEO of Denver Museum of Nat- Nature and Science. He's the founder of the Institute of Science and Policy, a program for the, of the museum. What's fascinating is how George's career started. He's a distinct, distinguished graduate of United States Air Force Academy. And then he went on to do his MS, Master's in Aeronautics from MIT. For the first, for nine years, George served in in the Air Force as first as a pilot, then as an assistant professor of aeronautics in the academy. And I really want to understand how that start both as at Air Force, then as a pilot, and then teaching pilots really shaped George and what he took from there. George has since had a successful career in global software marketing, sales, and management that includes mega brands like Hewlett Packard and Agilent Technologies. He is a member of Colorado Forum and Colorado Concern. He's also of the board of members for Aspen Academy, Colorado Education Initiative, Colorado Music Hall of Fame, Denver Metro Chambers of Commerce, and Denver School of Science and Technology. George, first of all, welcome, George. Thanks, Arjun. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. And George, congratulations on your amazing career. But first and foremost, you know, was want to applaud you and thank on behalf of all of us for your service to the nation as a pilot and training pilots. So that's the part where I really want to go and ask you what were some of the key leadership lessons that George got at the beginning of his career, both as a pilot and training pilots? So I I would start with uh, what I learned at the academy. And and there were probably two things that shaped my, I mean, the academy shaped my life in the most fundamental way. 
but there were two aspects to it. One was discipline. Uh, this is uh, the ability to focus on the things that really matter, get them accomplished in a timely manner, and then and get them accomplished well. Uh, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I think about is my day and and where I'm headed for the day, what I need to get done. And I plot it out in my in my mind and I'm consciously looking ahead four, five, six, eight hours uh, with that discipline to to make it happen. The second thing is duty, this sense of duty. And we had a little red book uh, at the Academy. We had to memorize. You may have heard of these at the academies where you had to memorize quotations. And the one quotation that I always try to live by is duty then is the sublimest word in the English language. You should do your duty in all things. You can never do more and you should never wish to do less. Wow. Could you repeat that quote one more time for us, please? Duty then is the sublimest word in the English language. You should do your duty in all things. You can never do more and you should never wish to do less. Wow. That has a very military you know, aura to it, but I, I think it captures a lot of how I feel about life. Love that. And especially I love that last part is never wish less, because to me, that really puts the spirit of you. So as you went from the academy on the other side as a faculty, what changed? Like what was very important for you as a faculty to shape the future pilots and Air Force cadets? So I, I, I've always enjoyed teaching and helping other people through mentoring. So those two things are really tied together because teaching is a process. It's such a joy to see the light go on in, in somebody's mind when, when you're talking about something complicated like aeronautical engineering or something even more complicated like how do you deal with this people situation in, in the business world or, or in the Air Force. So both of those to me, I mean, to me, that's, I used to think about if you could only have one word on your tombstone, what would it be? And for me, that word would be teacher. Wow. And I guess we'll talk in a second about that, about how that your passion for education and science came in. And I really think we are getting some early indications of that one word, if I want on my tombstone, that's a teacher. George, truly appreciate you sharing that. That's really powerful. So, George, from there, from the academy, from, from the Air Force, how did a distinguished graduate from there get to a totally different area of marketing sales? What's the commonality? And what helped you be so successful in that part phase of your career? So when I decided to leave the Air Force, I began looking around for what to do. And my former professor mates, if you will, at the Air Force Academy had joined Hewlett Packard. And he and I were good friends. So he suggested that I take a look at that. I knew it, it was going to be something in high technology because fundamentally I'm a, I'm a tech geek. I just love the technology and science. And so I began interviewing with different companies like IBM and, and um, the aerospace companies. But the, the instant I finished my first encounter with Hewlett Packard, I stopped all other interviews because I knew that was the place I wanted to work because it embodied so many of the values that, that, that just resonated with me. And to me, it was like going home more so even than the Air Force. It, it became my, 
my home and the place where I lived for 24 years. What were some of the values, one or two values from Hewlett Packard that really resonated with you? I think the, the, the biggest value and the one that goes through my life is that of service, that you're there to serve the customer. You are not there for your own, not to make a lot of money, not to achieve breakthroughs. You're, if you serve the customer and solve their problems, everything else takes care of itself. And if you don't do that, it really doesn't matter what else happens because in the end, you're not going to have a job and we won't be in business. And, and Dave Packard and Bill Hewlett are our true heroes in the American business world. And I got to work with them for a while and I just have enormous respect for the culture that they, that they set up there. So from there, how did your journey evolve to the Denver Museum as the president and CEO? So in the early 90s, I was uh, 45 years old and I was a speaker at a woman's conference. And for doing that, they gave me an executive coach for a few sessions. And her name was Lily Pratt King. And, and I met with her in California and through that process, discovered that what I really wanted to do was for the rest of my life was this was, I was age 45, that when I turned 55, which is the first time you could retire from the company and keep your medical benefits, when I reached 55, I was going to retire from the business world and go find a nonprofit to run. Hmm. So I spent the next 10 years focusing on what would that mean, getting on boards, learning about nonprofits. And six days after I turned 55, I retired from then Agilent Technologies and began looking for a job. So once you moved to the museum, all through your life, as you said, you're a tech geek or just a super techie, you have been in very precision industries. So what, you know, how do you find key performance indicators? How do you measure success at the Denver Museum? And how do you get every team member every day excited to serve at that highest level that you were talking about at Hewlett Packard? Yeah, the, the, we spent a lot of time on our mission and our vision and our values. And I've said that every organization that I've ever been in, I wish that we had spent more time really focusing on that. So we as a team uh, spent hours and hours and hours and weeks working on the mission, the vision, and the values of, that we're going to live by. When I go home every night, I think about, did I do something that furthered today that mission or our vision? And it's been interesting. We have a team of 450 people here and that's so many of them know and understand the mission and the vision, and especially our values. I think our values are pretty cool. So what are the values of the- So uh, one of the values that's uh, really uh, come in handy right now is that, uh, um, is around having fun and being engaging, if you will. The, uh, I mean, this is not a fun time, so we're trying to keep people engaged and, and keep them uh, uh, you know, it's, it's a tough time right now. So we support each other and try to have fun with each other. We're whimsical. The other one is, is, and this I think is the most important one from a business perspective is that we think critically and act with empathy. So when COVID hit, obviously we had a, we had a huge, we had $16 million deficit staring us in the face. So we had to think critically about how to close that gap. And then once we figured out the business plan to do that, then we thought with empathy about what that meant to the people. If you do those the other way around, it never works. It is exactly the wrong way to do it. And that's, that was another 
Another thing that I learned at Hewlett Packard. Love that. So just to digress for a second, most of us in the corporate world, when we get into an adventure to create mission, vision, and values, we literally spend a day or two arguing what is the mission, what's the vision, what's the values. So how do you explain? Because you emphasized everybody knowing the values. So from a layman's point of view, how can you help us understand mission, vision, and values, and how do you use them day to day in the museum? So the, the mission is why we exist as an organization. I do a lot of uh, consulting for nonprofit organizations, so I've helped them do mission, vision statements for a long, long time. The mission is why we exist as an organization. The vision is your shining castle in the distance, if you will, where, where are you headed? You never really get there, but you're focused in that direction. And the values are how you're going to treat each other and, and what the attributes of the organization are. So when we did it at the museum, we, we had the employees do it. We kind of gave them some broad, some broad uh, criteria. We did have mission and vision before, but we set up these employee engagement groups and they spent literally months working on this as small teams and then taking it out to the larger team, getting buy-in. And when I rolled it out, it, was, it wasn't a big deal because everybody had already bought into it. So what's, why is it so important to have team members build the values and create the overall values for the organization? Well, it's a lot easier to lead if, if, uh, if people already believe where you're headed and, and, and uh, you know, they created it. That's, that, that's really the most important part. It's their vision. It's not my vision. It's their vision that then applies to the organization. It is extraordinarily powerful to have anything that you create and own, you're going to care more about. Love that. Anything you create, you care more about. I love that because that believability comes right there. So you're listening to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen. And today my VIP guest is George Sparks, President and CEO of Denver Museum of Nature and Science, a distinguished graduate of the United States Air Force Academy and has a strong passion for public policy, particularly around science and education. The first half, George talked a lot about service, but the one line that really resonated was his passion for teaching and education. And where he talked about if there's one word he wanted written on his tombstone was a teacher. And I really felt, whoa, wow, like it really hit home how strongly this man believes in education. So George, quick question is, how did your whole passion for education and science come to where you are, that you live that every day? So I grew up in southern West Virginia, a little coal mining town. In fact, that thing behind me there on the wall is an engineer's map from a coal mine underneath my hometown from the 40s. Uh, it's, as you can tell, it's actually been used, the water stains on it. And when I was t about uh, 10 years old, I had a wallet. But being in southern West Virginia in the 50s, I didn't have anything to put in the wallet. But I found a, a thing like a baseball trading card of an Air Force Academy cadet. And, and I said, I'm going to go to school to the Air Force Academy and I'm going to become a pilot and an aeronautical engineer. And I have no idea why that card captured my imagination in that way, but I stuck it in my wallet. And then everything I did for the next seven years until I left was to help me get to that spot. And I knew that, that getting a good ed education was the only way that, that I was going to succeed. Love that. So George, having that 
map behind you is very important to you. What does it remind you every day when you walk in and you see that map? It rem- I, there, there are several things. One is it's home. We all have a home somewhere where we grew up and where our values were initially created. Uh, that that uh, the, the mining theme, my grandfather was killed in the mine next to that one in the 1930s. He died in, inside that mine. Um, it's about technology. It's about the natural world. It's about, uh, it, it's sort of like my whole life was designed, if you will, to run a nature and science museum, right from the very get-go with, with where I grew up was about nature and science. Mining is the perfect, you know, joining of nature and science and, and, and uh, humanity. So I, I just find, it really speaks to me. I love that map. Joining of human, na- nature, science, and humanity. Love that. So this last section, George, is about one thought, one sentence. Are you ready? Ready. Okay. The first is, you have a very unique, very successful, high-impact career. So what's the one common thread between the U.S. Air Force, a successful career in marketing sales, and the president and CEO of the Denver Museum? Yeah, I, I, I thought, you know, well, what joins all of these things? And I think when the light bulb went on for me was when I figured out it ain't about me. It's about everybody else. And we're put on this earth not for our own purposes, but to serve other people. And once you make that transition, it really gives you a completely different outlook on why we're here and how you approach people. If people really believe that you're there to help them, amazing things happen. And to me, that's what leadership is about, is about service. Wow, love that. So what will be your advice to anybody in any walk of life to be a successful leader? Well, I I think you have to figure out why you want to be a leader. Not everybody can be a leader and everybody is a leader in some way. So you need to define what that means for you. Um, You know, for me, it's helping individuals. One of the things I think about is uh, what's my legacy and I I, I think, uh, you know, 10 years after I'm gone, two people meet in a bar and they go, whatever happened to old George? And one of them goes, you know, he made a difference to me, not to the Museum of Nature and Science, but to me. To me, that's what uh, leadership is all about, is affecting each one of us individually and not necessarily your name on a hall or something like that. Love that. So what's the one thing we all need to focus on to make an impact, to make the world better. Yeah, I, I, I think it's, uh, again, getting outside of ourselves and thinking about what is our role in this place and how do we serve others to, to, uh, to make it a better place and, and then to live that. I think we have some recent examples here of people who espouse one perspective of life. Turns out that that wasn't actually the way they were living their lives. And that, that is just so... Uh, that hurts everybody. It not only hurts you as the person that that happens to, but it kind of tears down all leaders and and uh, and destroys faith in institutions as well. So I, I think living living your life as you as you want as you should and living it honestly. So, you know, for most leaders, when I talk to them, they rule out certain words or obstacles from their mind. And top athletes I've talked to, they remove the word even no from the dictionary. What's a word not in George's dictionary? 
oh, that this idea that you're not engaged, you're somehow, uh, you don't really care, pa passivity or disengagement, I guess is the word I would do. I mean, you have to really care about what you're doing. And every day when you get up, you should care about what you're doing. And if you're just putting one foot in front of the other day after day, to me, that's the really sad part because we have so many gifts and we have a chance to make so many differences. Why not be passionate and care about what you do? So if George today from 2020 went back and met George, the kid who was just looking at that U.S. Air Force, the card, what advice would you give that kiddo? So I, I think back to a time I can remember this vividly. My dad was shaving. I was, uh, was in the first grade. He was shaving and he looked down at me and he said, you know, your teacher says that you're smart enough. You may not have to work in the mines when you grow up. Hmm. And that's the, the, the point when I decided I'm going to get an education. But I would whisper into the other ear and I would say, you have no idea of the cornucopia of things that are out there that you can possibly do. You can do things you can't even imagine, things that haven't even been invented yet. So don't restrict yourself to just not working in a coal mine. Go out there and, and, and live life every single day. Love that. And George, you talked a little bit about first thing, what you do, and last thing. And I just find that you know people who are very successful in any field and every field like you have a process because success that does not have a plan or a process, I personally feel cannot be repeated. So if, are you comfortable sharing what's one of the first things you do when you wake up and what's the last thing you do before you're finishing your work day? Yeah, so the, uh, the first thing I do, like I said, as soon as my mind wakes up, and, and, and frankly, even before I wake up, as I'm snoozing away there, it's thinking about what's happening the next day or so, especially that, that next day, because those, uh, you know, anybody in business today knows that our days are chock-a-block with Zoom calls and with meetings with people, and you have to do those well. So as soon as my feet hit the ground, I'm thinking about what, what are my appointments? I go right to my calendar, kind of plan my day out, plan my day out in my head. I'm also a big planner as, with respect to the year. I think about uh, what are the things I want to accomplish throughout the next year or two or three. I, I write a lot of things down and, and think those through. My wife teases me about I'm not very spontaneous, and that's probably true because I'm planning so many things out. And being a pilot, you're very much driven by procedure. You, it, there are not a lot of options when you're flying a plane. You have to really follow the rules. Otherwise, you won't last very long. And then uh, the last thing at night is, how did the day go? Did I, did I actually give the company my money's worth? Mm -hmm. And, and my, big, my big fear is that I will, I, I will let, the, let the people down, if you will. I've never paid a nickel for any of my education. The people of the United States have, have completely educated me from the first grade all the way through graduate school. And I'm, by golly, I'm going to pay that back over and over and over again uh, to make sure that they got their money's worth. So I think about, do, did I do today the things that will repay the people of the United States for educating me? Well, you know, two things that really touched me. One is a big lesson is George Sparks starts his day even when the snooze sound button goes on. Most of us hesitate and then wake up. So George already has a head start. And the second part, I think, you know, really touched me at a very deeper level is whether it's education to everything else in life. You know, the very fact you and I are having a conversation, 
both of us are here because of people, organizations, institutions, countries have invested in us, without which we wouldn't. And we many a time forget that and we make it a me, me thing. So truly appreciate you bringing that in front, for, in front of all of us. So George, any final thoughts you have that you want to share anything else with the rest of us, please? Yeah, I guess the final thing, and my team really gets tired of me saying this, is that uh, life is about relationships. And the more relationships you build, the, the broader your network will be. And I'm not talking about friendships necessarily. I have a lot of friends, but I think relationships to organizations, to other people, to different causes, to thinking about the world differently. Uh, there are nothing bad happens if you create more and deeper relationship with other people. Uh, we're there to serve each other and you can't do that unless you have relationships. And when things go wrong, like they have during COVID, it, that's when you depend upon those relationships to help us all get through this. Love that, George. And you know, to me, one of the first conferences I'd ever gone to was a networking conference. And the CEO had walked up and educated us by saying there's a difference between networking and relationship. And this is the year is 1990. I still have not forgotten those three things. Number one, he talked about anytime you see somebody, for example, I see George Sparks, don't classify him. Many a time we look at by saying George, museum, cannot help me. Okay, I just put him in, good to know George. Second is everything George says, pay attention. And the third thing he says is, can you then make a commitment over the next six months, one year to help George in three ways, what George Mm -hmm. needs. And then he explained it because that's what got me excited was think there are 200 of you. Instead of each one of you worried about what will you eat for lunch. If you found somebody found out three things he loves and bring that, think of the feast we will have with 600 dishes. And I'm like feast, who said feast? But I really think in today's world, what you finished with the whole concept of networking, sorry, relationship, I really think is so powerful. Relationships about connecting and giving. Thanks, George. Thank you for an amazing conversation, George. Yeah. Thank you, Arjun. So today's conversation with George really moved me. And I was scribbling, and I felt that the best way I can summarize this when George said, it's ain't about me, it's about others. And George, there's this geeky side of me, I tally mark things, there were 11 times you talked about others during this whole conversation. It's a consistent thread during this whole thing. You started that by talking about, from the very beginning, how Air Force shaped you, talked about duty, and duty is, you can always do more, never wish less. You talked about the same thing when you went in a business, when you were working at Hewlett Packard, about how do you serve the customer? It's about the customer. Think critically, act with empathy. And then the whole thing, I think, to me personally, came into place when I integrated, got it finally, when you talked about when you go home, you think every day, did I add value? That's such a powerful concept. And then you literally nailed it, hammered it home when you talked about, you know, 15, 20, 30 years from now, I want you to have a very long life. Let's call it 60 years from now, when two people are sitting in a bar talking about George, one guy nods his head and says, you know what? This guy made a difference for me. And I really feel this was such an engaging concept about not about me, it's for others. Thank you all for listening to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen. Please subscribe, share, and review this podcast with your friends and family. And this was 
totally a wow conversation. Happy listening. And thank you again, George Sparks. Thank you, Arjun. I'm honored. You've been listening to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, brand whisperer, top brand growth driver, and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. To learn more, visit www.zenmango.com. Share this podcast with your friends and subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.